0: chapter twenty two of the life of thomas lord cochrane tenth earl of dundonald completing the autobiography of a seaman volume two by henry richard foxbourne and others this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by timothy ferguson chapter twenty two eighteen twenty eight to eighteen twenty nine lord cochrane's absence from greece was longer and less advantageous than he had anticipated arriving in london on the nineteenth of february eighteen twenty eight He found that the English Philhellenes were tired out by the bad faith and the unpatriotic conduct of the Greeks, and that the English government, which he had hoped to influence so far as to obtain an alteration in the Foreign Enlistment Act, which would enable him to secure the services of a well-trained force of British seamen, was determined to give no help in the matter. He found, too, that the steam vessels yet to be furnished in accordance with the old contract with Mr. Galloway were still unfinished, and that there would be no little trouble and delay added to all that had already been endured before their completion could be hoped for not disheartened however he went almost immediately to paris there to see what could be expected from the philhellenes of the continent Quote, i have taken steps he wrote to m Enard from paris on the second of march to cause one of our small steam vessels to be fitted with proper engines the expense of which i shall find means to defray i hope the president will favour me with the communication at an early date at least to say whether he has means to pay and victual a few hundreds of foreign seamen and thus put my mind at rest for he must depend on foreign aid to support him in his government protect commerce and enable a revenue to be derived from the latent resources of greece the greeks themselves will do nothing towards these objects though there will not be wanting individuals who will endeavour for their personal views to persuade them to the contrary of this my mind is not yet sufficiently tranquil to give detailed reasons for my opinion that things will not succeed in greece without troops and other foreign aid but such time will prove the case were the three great powers he said in another letter to Monsieur aynard dated the seventeenth of march pleased to aid the president with funds to a small amount they would accomplish more for their own benefit and that of greece than by great fleets and armies four thousand troops under the greek government and five hundred seamen would terminate the affair but never will anarchy cease or piracy be put down nor will capodistrias be secure unless he has under his own authority the means of enforcing obedience to the laws and regulation for the public good by sea and land i have told you that the greek seamen cannot be used to suppress piracy and i may truly add that no greeks of age to bear arms can become soldiers though they learn readily enough to perform the military exercises there neither is nor has yet been since my arrival in greece one single company not even the marines with which so much pains was taken that deserves the name of regular their ideas are quite repugnant to everything that constitutes the military character lord cochrane who it will be remembered was chiefly instrumental in the election of count john capodistrius as the president of greece in april eighteen twenty seven had hoped much from his government his confidence was not a little shaken by the long delay which the president had shown in entering on his office and when capodistrius arrived in greece only a few days after lord cochrane's departure his first acts were calculated to shake that confidence yet more he introduced many solid reforms but in other respects clung to the old and bad traditions of the people and which was yet worse allowed himself to be guided by some of the worst place-hunters and most skilful abusers of national power whom he ought to have more carefully avoided lord cochrane began to perceive this before he had been six weeks out of greece he yet hoped however that wise counsels and good government would prevail and he tendered his advice while he reported his own movements in a second letter which he addressed to capodistrias the information which your excellency must have acquired since your arrival in greece he wrote to him on the twenty second of march may have convinced you of the facts briefly touched on in the letter which i had the honour to address to you on the first of january and may also have proved to you the impossibility under existing circumstances of my rendering service to greece otherwise than by the course i have pursued although on my arrival in england i was disappointed at finding other ministers than those i expected in the councils of his britannic majesty yet i had the opportunity of making facts known to influential individuals in proof that the interests of england would be best promoted by a liberal policy towards greece and by placing that country without loss of time in the rank of an independent state having boundaries the most extensive that could be conceded since then i have had several conversations here with the gentlemen of the paris greek committee and i have advised them to assure the ministers that large naval and military armaments are not required for the expulsion of the turkish and egyptian forces from greece or to protect that country from farther attempts at invasion by the before-mentioned powers that for speedy regulation of the internal affairs of greece and the support of your authority it would be far preferable and infinitely less costly For the mediating powers to place in your hands the means of maintaining four or five thousand troops together with five hundred seamen and apply a portion of the vast sums they will save to the education of the rising generation of greeks abroad and at home and to the encouragement of whatever will tend to direct the talent and genius of the young people most speedily into the course which will entitle greece to rank amongst the civilised nations of europe whether this advice shall be listened to or not i am satisfied that my opinion is correct and that a multitude of foreign troops in the pay of rival foreign nations would contribute less to the objects these nations profess to have in view than a much smaller force under your own authority, more especially when it is considered that these troops could in no way interfere with the internal arrangement and police of the country, unless by usurping, or at least suspending, the authority which ought to be exclusively vested in Your Excellency as Chief of the Greek Government. Besides knowing, as I do, the jealous character of your countrymen, the facility with which they listen to surmises and reports the diversity of interests among the rival chiefs and the intrigues practised by base and worthless individuals i have no doubt but that such mixture of troops of different nations would give rise to a state of anarchy more injurious to greece than that which at present exists whether such anarchy might be prevented by one nation alone taking upon itself the internal arrangement of greece seems doubtful for to enforce laws however just and necessary by troops in foreign pay against the opinion and habits of a people who have no just notion of the reciprocal duties of civilised society would be in their estimation to erect a military despotism and would call forth resistance on their part even to the most salutary changes i have also recommended as additional security against a multitude of evils an immediate demarcation of the boundaries of greece or at least an acknowledgment of your excellency as president the outfit of two or three steam-vessels still unfinished is going on and i shall find means to accomplish this object in a way that will render them equal if not superior in velocity to most of the steamboats in general use but as no pecuniary means could be obtained in england to procure seamen and purchase provisions coals and other necessaries i came to paris in the hope that the greek committee might enable me to give orders regarding these arrangements so indispensable to the navigating of these vessels to greece the paris committee however intimate that they have no funds and the chevalier Aynard ensures me that the moneys collected by him are exhausted i therefore await with anxiety your answer to the letter which i had the honour to address to you previous to my departure from greece no answer came from capodistrius he sent a message to lord cochrane asking him to sell the little unicorn which had conveyed him to england but said nothing about his own return believing that the allied powers would do for him all that was necessary in naval resistance of turkey he was not sorry to be deprived of an associate in the actual service of greece as powerful as lord cochrane this lord cochrane began to suspect everything is arranged regarding the engines for the two steamboats he said in a letter to marshal aynard on the twenty-fourth of march but circumstances do not enable me to accomplish more especially without the sanction of the president from whom i shall no doubt shortly hear on the subject unless indeed he shall be persuaded by the primates of the islands that he can do better without a regular naval force or at least without me which i know is the opinion of conduriotes and also of mavramichales the great licenser and patron of pirates so loudly and justly complained of i am very low and i do not feel at all well i cannot free myself from the oppression of spirits occasioned by seeing everything in the lamentable state in which all must continue in greece unless some effectual steps are taken to put an end to the intrigues and rivalships headed by unprincipled chiefs, and backed by their savage followers. Believe me, there is nothing, I believe, undone to serve the cause, but it is essential that more time shall not be wasted in endeavouring to accomplish objects of vital importance by inadequate means." While Lord Cochrane was endeavouring to hasten the arrangements for his return to Greece, he was annoyed by a letter forwarded to him by Sir Francis Burdett. The letter was from Andreas Luriotes, one of the two greek deputies who had requested lord cochrane two years and a half before to enter the service of greece and who now claimed a restitution of the thirty seven thousand pounds paid to him on the plea that by leaving greece he had broken his contract before writing to sir francis said lord cochrane in the indignant letter which he addressed to this person on the twentieth of april you ought to have informed yourself of facts and circumstances you might have learned that i continued to serve until the greek government had assumed to themselves the powers vested in me as naval commander-in-chief to regulate the distribution of armed vessels and until they had covered the seas with piratical craft you might have informed yourself that i remained at my post until the neutral admirals refused to hold communication with a government which had so misconducted itself and with which they considered it would have been disgraceful to correspond even on subjects of a public nature you might have informed yourself that i remained on board the hellas until the temporary government had sold and applied to other purposes the revenues of the islands allotted for the maintenance of the regular naval service and deprived me of the means to satisfy the claims of the officers and seamen that i continued until the seamen had abandoned the frigate plundered the fireships, and fitted out pirate vessels before my eyes all of which i had no power to punish or means to prevent if you or others infer that my endeavours in the cause of greece are to be judged by naval operations carried out against the enemy by open force you are mistaken it is essential that you hold in mind that there are no naval officers in greece who are acquainted with the discipline of regular ships of war that the seamen would submit to no restraint that they would not enlist for more than one month and they would do nothing without being paid in advance nor continue to serve after the expiration of the short period for which they were so paid that by this determination of the seamen the hellas was detained for months in port or occupied in collecting amongst the islands poultry means to satisfy their demands and that at last when money was found half the period of the seamen's engagement was consumed in proceeding even to the nearest point at which hostile operations could be carried on whence it became necessary to return almost at the moment of our arrival it is not for me to speak except when i am attacked of the services i have rendered both in my professional capacity and otherwise those who were in greece knew my exertions to reconcile the national assemblies in april eighteen twenty seven to suppress the animosity amongst the chiefs and save the country from civil discord they know that i doubled the national marine by captures from the enemy they know that by desultory operations i paralysed the efforts of fleets we could not oppose they know that the attack on vasilladi and lepanto in september last induced the turkish and egyptian fleets to follow to that quarter in violation of the armistice and that this act produced their rencontre and dispute with the british admiral and ultimately led to the destruction of those fleets in the port of navarino a few days after writing that letter lord cochrane returned to london from paris where he had been staying for nearly two months in frequent communication with the members of the Philhellenic committees of that city and other parts of the continent the growing dissatisfaction which the bad conduct of the greeks had awakened in many of their best friends and still more the silence of capodistrius prevented his doing all that he had hoped to do he succeeded however in exciting some fresh interest and found that one of the steamboats at any rate the mercury was at length in a fair way of completion though this and subsequent equipment were only effected by an advance of two thousand pounds which he himself made this was the business which took him to london where he was busily employed during may and the first few days of june he then went back to paris for nearly three months more and made further efforts though in vain to procure the substantial assistance for greece on which his heart was set as soon as the mercury was ready for sea he directed that she should proceed to marseilles where She arrived on the 13th of September. On the 18th, determined to make the best use of her in his power, he again set sail for Greece. He reached Poros on or near the last day of September. He found that the internal arrangements of Greece had wonderfully improved. Capodistrias, during the last eight months, had been ruling with an iron hand over all those districts which the previous conquests of Turks and Egyptians had not taken out of his control, and all those conquests were just being finally abrogated. The full effects of the battle of navarino were now appearing ibrahim pasha having deported many of his troops to alexandria chiefly because there was not enough food to be found for them in the maria had refused to surrender his authority or to abandon any of the numerous fortresses of which he was master the president with sir richard church and the worn-out refuse of the so-called army for his only support could do nothing to expel him but he gladly accepted the profit aid of france in compliance with the protocol signed on the nineteenth of july fourteen thousand soldiers under general Maison landed at petlidi on the thirtieth of august and within a week ibrahim had been forced to sign a convention pledging himself to prompt evacuation of the peninsula half of the residue of his army quitted navarino on the sixteenth of september the rest was preparing to depart at the time of lord cochrane's arrival and actually started on the fifth of october the ensuing weeks were worthily employed by the french army in clearing out the pestilential garrisons and making it possible for wholesome rule to succeed to the seven weary years of strife thus the primary work which lord cochrane had been engaged to do and which he vainly strove to do under the miserable circumstances of his position had been effected by others the ottoman fleets had been dispersed and destroyed and as far as they were concerned greece was free at last there was work yet to be done troublesome but most important work in converting the disorderly and piratical vessels and crews which constituted the navy of greece into an efficient agent for protecting the state and extending its boundaries. This, in spite of all previous annoyances, Lord Cochrane was prepared to do, if the Greeks were willing. But they did not will it. Capodistrius had laid his plans for governing Greece, and for their performance he had no need of a foreigner as wise and honest as Lord Cochrane. The plans were not altogether reprehensible. At starting they were perhaps the best that could be adopted. The new president, the president whom Lord Cochrane had nominated, as the likeliest man to beat down the factions, and override the jealousies that had hitherto wrought such grievous mischief to Greece, began by acting up to the anticipations which had induced his selection. Schooled in Italy and Russia, he practised both torturous diplomacy and straightforward tyranny in attempting to turn divided Greece into a united nation, in which a hundred rival claimants for power should be made humble instruments of the authority of their one master. Thereby the state was enabled to assert its existence, and it was made possible for good government to be introduced when however the time came for inaugurating that good government Capodistrias sought to continue the method of rule which if allowable at first was no longer right or likely to succeed young greece was to be kept in subjection for his own aggrandisement and for the aggrandisement of his few favourites and advisers these favourites and advisers were the leaders of the old Phanariot party prince Condortos and his brother-in-law mr Tracoupes, men whose policy lord cochrane had opposed on his first arrival in greece and who accordingly became even more inimical to himself than he was to their purposes and plans therefore it was that when lord cochrane returned to greece in the autumn of 1828 he was coldly received and his offers of further service though not openly rejected were not accepted throughout ten weeks he was treated with contemptuous indifference or formal compliments the hollowness of which was transparent On his arrival, the President found it difficult to grant him an interview. When the interview was granted, the only subject allowed to be discussed was the accuracy of the accounts that had been drawn up by Dr. Goss as Commissary-General of the Fleet during the nine months of the previous year in which Lord Cochrane had been in active service. Nearly two months were spent in tedious and vexatious examination of these accounts and correspondence thereupon, ending, however, in the partial satisfaction which Lord Cochrane derived from the knowledge that, after the most searching investigation, they were admitted to be correct in every particular more than once, during this waiting time, Lord Cochrane threatened to leave Greece immediately, without waiting for the settlement of the accounts. He was only induced to remain and submit to the insults offered to him by the consideration that his hasty departure might cause an indefinite postponement of this settlement and so prove injurious to his subordinates, if not to himself. This being done, however, he lost no time in resigning his office as first admiral of Greece, and that measure was accompanied by a rare exhibition of generosity. Quote, the direct and active interference of the great european powers having decided the glorious contest for the freedom of greece he said in a letter to count capiadistris written at poros on the twenty-sixth of november and its independence being formally acknowledged by accredited agents from these powers no means now presents themselves to me whereby i can professionally promote the interests of this hitherto oppressed people i beg therefore that i may be permitted as an individual to alleviate their burdens by presenting the state with my share as admiral of the corvette hydra and the schooner of war athenian captured from the enemy and further by absolving the state from any and every obligation whereby the sum of twenty thousand pounds was to be paid to me on the acknowledgment of the independence of this country if your excellency shall be pleased conjointly with the national assembly to appropriate any part of the said amount to the relief of the seamen wounded and of the families of those who have fallen during the contest it will be a high gratification to my feelings and, I hope, will be admitted as a testimony of my satisfaction at the introduction of useful institutions, and of the pleasure I experience at the rapid advancement towards order which has taken place even during the short period of Your Excellency's presidency. I have only to add that, if at any future time Your Excellency shall deem my services useful, I shall be delighted at an opportunity to prove my zeal for the welfare of Greece more fully than circumstances have hithertofore permitted." End quote. The President's reply, dated the fourth of December, was complimentary. The Government of Greece, he said, thanks you, my lord, for the services you have rendered and for the new proof of your interest and your benevolence which you have shown in your letter of the twenty sixth of November. As you observe, Greece having been taken under the protection of the great powers of Europe, the provisional government can engage in no warlike operation worthy of your talents and your station. It regrets, therefore, that it cannot offer you an opportunity of giving further proof of the noble, and generous sentiments which animate you in favour of greece the government will make it its duty to convey to the national congress your offer to cede your rights in the corvette hydra and the schooner athenian and in the twenty thousand pounds which greece was to pay you on the acknowledgement of her independence it doubts not that the congress will value at its true worth all the nation's debt to you and that it will adopt the measures which you propose for succouring the families of the greek seamen who have fallen in the war the future of greece is in the hands of god and of the allied powers you have taken part in her restoration and she will reckon you with sentiments of profound gratitude among her first and generous defenders a day had not passed however before lord cochrane had fresh proof of the worthlessness of that pretended gratitude information having reached messrs j and s ricardo the contractors for the greek loan of eighteen twenty five that the new government contemplated repudiating the debt had written to lord cochrane begging him to bring the matter before capia and represent to him the injustice to the stockholders and the discredit to greece that would result from such an act lord cochrane accordingly had an interview with the president and his two chief advisers on the fifth of december when the subject was discussed and though repudiation was only threatened attempts were made to justify it on the plea that the two million pounds forming the loan had nearly all been squandered in england and america much having disappeared in unexplained ways, the rest having been absorbed in shipbuilding and engine-making, from which Greece had derived no benefit. Both in the personal interview and in the long letter which he addressed to the President on the following day, Lord Cochrane indignantly resented the proposed repudiation. He admitted there had been gross mismanagement, but showed that the chief blame for this, attached to the Greek deputies Orlando and Luriotis, who had been sent to England to raise the money, and to see that it was properly expended, but who, as was well known, had sought only their own advantage and enjoyment, and, pilfering themselves, had allowed others to pilfer without restraint. He urged that the innocent holders of the Greek stock ought not to suffer on this account, and showed also that, if there had been great abuse of the loan, it had enabled the Greeks to tide over their worst time of trouble. "'Your Excellency must be aware,' he wrote, "'that there was no warship belonging to the State "'which was not bought, taken, or obtained by the aid of this loan, "'and that all the guns, mortars, powder, and other military stores,' which served to maintain the liberties of greece during these later years were chiefly procured by the help of this same fund it enabled you to carry on the war until independence was secured by the intervention of the allied powers the debt was not repudiated but lord cochrane's arguments for its acknowledgment gave an opportunity for exhibition of the long-smothered jealousy with which he was regarded by the counsellors of capiodistris if not by capiodistris himself the exhibition certainly was contemptible as lord cochrane was about to leave greece and indeed eager to do so The spite could only be shown in the arrangements made for his departure. Having transferred the mercury which brought him out to the President, Lord Cochrane had to ask for a vessel to take him from Agena, where he was then staying, to the Ionian Islands, or, if he could not there find a suitable conveyance, to Toulon or Marseille. The brig Persephone was gradually placed at his disposal. I pray you, my lord, wrote Mavrocordatos on the 8th of December, if you are obliged to take her to Toulon or Marseilles, not to detain her at Navarino or Zante, but to enable her to return with as little delay as possible to her work on the shores of Western Greece. Lord Cochrane accordingly embarked in this vessel on the 10th. No sooner was he on board, however, than he found himself treated with studied rudeness by her captain, Anoli Bauti, exposed, as he said, to privations and insults which would not be allowed in the conveyance of convicts he had to put in at poros on the same evening and thence address a complaint to the government then lodged in that island four days passed before he received a written answer to his letter and then it conveyed nothing but a formal intimation that another captain would be appointed in lieu of the obnoxious officer many personal communications however had passed in the interval by which was confirmed the suspicion formed by lord cochrane from the first that the captain's misconduct had been dictated by his superiors and that it had been a preconceived plan to try and send the first admiral of greece for both title and function still belonged to him from her shores with every possible degradation he naturally resented this indignity he claimed that while he remained in greece and until his office of first admiral was abrogated he should be treated with the respect due to his rank all he asked he urged was that he might be allowed to leave greece at once if with such a show of honour from the people whom he had done his best to serve as would free him from insult and the government from disgrace. I assure your excellency, he wrote to the President, that I regret the occurrence of any circumstance that occasions uneasiness to you, but I believe that, on reflection, you will clearly perceive that all which has occurred has been the work of others whose acts I could neither control nor foresee. I waive my right to insist at present on any explicit recognition of my authority, and, though there is ample justification for my seeking more than I desire, All that I demand of Your Excellency is, for the sake of Greece, not to suffer, not to sanction your ministers in an endeavour, to force me on to public explanations, by persevering in the scandalous line of conduct which they pursue. Surely Your Excellency cannot be aware of the importance which naval men attach to the continuance of the insignia of office, whilst actually embarked within the limits of their station, or you would not for an instant tolerate the attempt made to degrade me in the estimation of the high authorities and numerous officers here present in the port of poros i respectfully await your excellency's official commands and warrant to strike my flag not founded on reasonings or on assumptions which may prove fallacious or incorrect but dictated in explicit terms such as an officer can such as he ought to obey that lord cochrane was not fighting with a shadow appears from a letter addressed to dr on the fifteenth of December, by Count Hayden, then commanding the Azov as representative of Russia in the Bay of Poros, as the affairs of etiquette are delicate, he said, "I beg that you will inform me whether His Lordship is still serving as First Admiral of Greece, or whether he has received his conge. If he is still in her service and employ, I shall rejoice to render him all the honours due to his rank. In the other case, I will pay him all the honours except the salute of cannon. I beg that you will favour me with an answer." "'in order that I may show his lordship all the honour that is due to him.'" Dr. Goss's answer, though longer than Lord Hayden expected, claims to be here quoted, as it furnished an important tribute to Lord Cochrane's worth and was all the more valuable, in that the Russian officer, glad to do all in his power to render homage to a man whom the Greek government was now treating with childish insolence, made it his own by publishing it in the naval archives of Russia. "'Lord Cochrane,' wrote Dr. Goss, having arrived in March 1812, was in the National Assembly at Troazine, elected First Admiral and Commander-in-Chief of the naval forces of Greece, with independent and unlimited powers. Subsequently, and after the election of Count Cabiodistris as President, the Assembly decided that the Admiral should be under the authority of the government until the arrival of the President. During the year 1827, Lord Cochrane fulfilled his duties with all the zeal, all the accuracy, and all the talent for which he is renowned but he found it impossible to achieve anything of importance, isolated as he was, without sufficient funds, and without support from others, except that of the Philhellenic Committees, and without the cooperation of the Greeks themselves. At length, having pledged himself not to interfere in internal politics, he considered his presence in Greece useless until a firm government could be organised, and deemed that he could render best service to the nation by advocating its interests in Western Europe. He departed early in January, after two months vainly awaiting the arrival of count cabir whom he informed of his expedition and asked for instructions he returned to france and england used all the means in his power to obtain fresh aid for greece fitted out one of the steamboats that were being prepared in london took steps for the completion of the other two and after writing a second letter to the president which like the first one received no answer returned to greece resolved to devote himself to her cause he was received with coldness and indifference neither lodging nor provisions nor employment were offered to him he was asked that his accounts might be examined ignorant or evil-minded commissioners were entrusted with their investigation and the government only took it in hand very tardily objections and disputes difficulties and contradictions accumulated and it was only after a delay of sixty days that his accounts were publicly and officially declared to be correct all that while he remained like a private person on board his steamboat manned only by six sailors in all the audiences that he had with the president he asked for instructions as to the position and work that he should assume but he could never receive any definite answer during one interview which he had with prince mavrokondotos on board the mercury in the port of poros on the first of december the anniversary of the coronation of the emperor of russia he announced his intention of hoisting his flag on board of one of the national vessels as a public compliment to that sovereign and asked monsieur mavrokondotos to inform the president of that intention but he received no answer he had during this period received numerous letters from the government addressed to him as first admiral and commander-in-chief of the naval forces of greece he afterwards went to agena with messrs tricoupes and maverick and to receive part of the money due to him and to hand over to the commission of marine the steamboat mercury that done he was embarked in a national vessel a miserable brig which had been seized as contraband badly repaired which had been sent to convey him to navarino Zante, toulon or Marseilles, this vessel was under the orders of a hydriot Brulotier, an ignorant and coarse man who long before at the expedition against alexandria had acted in direct violation of the admiral's orders and the crew was on par with the captain lord cochrane was insolently received by these people no place of safety was found for his baggage and his money no food was provided even for the voyage from Aegina to poros where lord cochrane wished to take leave of the president at poros the captain repeated his insults lord cochrane requested the president to dismiss him but received no answer monsieur Trocoupes even came on board and declared that the captain should continue his voyage and proceed to his destination lord cochrane then said that he would be master on board a vessel from whose mast fluttered his admiral's flag and that he would yield to nothing but the written orders of the president in order as he said that he might protect himself from the insolence of the servants of the government who sought to annoy him by their exhibition of paltry jealousy or to force him into a quarrel with the president the day before yesterday in the afternoon he had an interview with the president and messrs tricoupes and mavrocondatos being present he openly pointed out to him the intrigues of these officials and the dangers of the course in which they were leading him warmly and with the boldness of a good conscience he exposed their policy and expressed his views upon the organization of the greek navy he then repeated his wish to depart as soon as possible although he declared himself willing at any future time to serve greece if she had need of him he also announced that he would at once take down his flag of authority if the president officially and directly required it but that if any charges were brought against him he should be compelled to remain in greece until he had exculpated himself before the nation and obtained the punishment of the unworthy servants of the president for whom personally he declared that he had a profound respect while he commiserated his difficult and painful position in this interview lord cochrane appeared to me to have a great advantage over his antagonists yesterday the admiral's flag was still floating in the evening the president wrote him a letter in vague terms and contributing nothing to the end he had in view this morning lord cochrane in his reply has again asked for authority to lower his flag if that is the will of the president but no orders have been received this precise statement of facts which have come under my own knowledge will i think make it easy for your excellency To arrive at conclusions comporting with the laws of etiquette I have read your letter with pleasure and with pain wrote admiral Hayden in answer on the same day for I am certain that lord cochrane must have suffered greatly from the treatment to which he has been exposed in proof of my esteem I beg that he will send back to their kennels these miserable causes of his annoyance and proceed to Malta or to Zante if he wishes in one of my corvettes taking with him as large a suite as he likes it cannot be too numerous as regards his salute i shall receive him with the honours due to his rank and with musical honours and at his departure i will man the yards but the salute of guns i cannot give him as he is not in naval authority vice-admiral Mialis never received from me the honours which i hoped to offer lord cochrane i did not man the yards and did not give him a salute i hope i shall have the pleasure of seeing his lordship and that i can provide him a passage more agreeable than that proposed for him by greece not content with sending that friendly message to lord cochrane admiral Hayden took prompt occasion to reprove capodistris for his unworthy conduct capodistris thereupon used his influence of dr gross in bringing about at any rate a formal reconciliation between himself and lord cochrane the result of which was that the latter received the official discharge that he desired and even offered to find him in another ship a better passage than would have been expected on board the proserpine lord cochrane however preferred to accept admiral haydon's more generous invitation Quote, it is gratifying he said in a letter to dr gross on the eighteenth of december that even the authority to which wicked men refer in proof of the rectitude of evil deeds fails to sanction infamous conduct alas if capiodistris suffers and he seems not inclined to oppose i say if he suffers the base intrigues of the faena to be introduced as the means of ruling a nation greece must fall back if not into a darker state yet into a worse condition insomuch as suspended anarchy is preferable to civil war quote. these prognostications proved correct capadistrius allowing others to direct him in ways of bad government entered on a policy which very soon led to his assassination to be followed by the milder rule of king otho on the twentieth of december lord cochrane left poros in the russian corvette Grimachi, honorably placed at his disposal by admiral Hayden, and proceeded to malta there he was worthily received by the british admiral sir pulteney malcolm who offered him immediate conveyance to naples in the racer or in a week's time a passage direct to marseilles in the etna believing that he would save time he chose the former alternative from naples however he found it impossible to proceed to marseilles and was obliged on the twenty-ninth of january to embark in an english merchant vessel to leghorn eleven days were spent in the short voyage and on reaching leghorn he had to submit to fifteen days of quarantine before being allowed to proceed to paris there to rejoin his family the whole journey occupied nearly ten weeks from leghorn he wrote on the fifteenth of february to chevalier aynard respecting greece and her still unfortunate condition civilisation and internal order he said "'can make no steady progress in Greece unless the government can be supported otherwise than by the present bands of undisciplined, ignorant and lawless savages. "'Under existing circumstances, Greeks who have attained the age of maturity are incapable of military organisation. "'You have long known my opinion as to the necessity of sending foreign troops to Greece to maintain order. "'You know that I preferred Swiss or Bavarian soldiers to those of the great pacificating powers.' because the latter cannot, with propriety, interfere in matters of police whilst paid by foreign countries. It is now, however, too late to send small military establishments, such as would have sufficed on the arrival of distress, because now they would be considered as oppressors. Then they would have been received as allies and friends. The alternatives that must be pursued in the conduct relative to Greece now are to let the revolution work itself out, as in South America, or to leave six regiments in the country until the young men, who are abroad, shall be educated, and the rising generation at home shall be somewhat civilised. It is of no use to attempt to do good by half measures, under the present circumstances of Greece. Calicotrones is ready, on the spot, to take possession of Patras the moment it is evacuated. Petro Bey, who has been prosecuted in the court of admiralty for piracy, is prepared to avenge himself by taking authority in Mena. Condoriotes, Zames, and all the other chiefs anxiously await the meeting of the assembly, which they hail as the final hour of the President's authority. Capodistrias's ministers, too, who are no fools, but on the contrary cunning men, undoubtedly have similar views, for they have taken every means to discredit, disgust, and drive away every foreigner who, by his conduct, counsel, or friendly intimation, could avert the evil. Thus things are fast tending towards a discreditable close of the President's administration. "'Thank God,' wrote Lord Cochrane three months later, on the 17th of May, to dr goss who in the interval had also left greece we are both clear of a country in which there is no hope of amelioration for half a century to come unless indeed immigration shall take place to a great extent under some king or competent ruler appointed and supported by the governments of the mediating powers the mental fever i contracted in greece has not yet subsided nor will it probably for some months to come lord cochrane might well be suffering from mental fever nearly four years of his life had been spent in efforts to serve greece and with very poor result to himself the issue had been wholly unfortunate even the pecuniary recompense to which he was entitled having been so reduced as to not meet the expenses to which he had been put partly through his generous surrender of the twenty thousand pounds which he was to receive on the completion of the work partly through the depreciation of the greek stock in which out of sympathy for the cause he had invested the thirty seven thousand pounds paid to him on his engagement and to greece the issues had been far less beneficial than he had hoped the tedious and wanton delays to which he had been subjected at starting whereby that starting was prevented for a year and a half had hindered his arrival in greece till it was too late for him to do much of the work that had been planned the want of money and still more the want of patriotism courage and even common honesty on the part of nearly all the leaders with whom he was to cooperate, and the officers and crews whom he was to command and caused his ten months' active service in Greece to compromise little more than a series of bold projects, and projects which, if they had been aided by brave men, would have been as easy as they were bold, in which he received none of the support that was necessary, and which, accordingly, all his energy and genius could not make successful. When, after his visit to England and France, he returned to Greece eager and able to render invaluable assistance in the organisation of the navy, he was treated only with neglect and insolence, from which, at last, he was enabled to escape, through the generous sympathy of a Russian admiral. Much, however, he had done for Greece. To his persistent entreaties were due all the meagre displays of patriotism by which the government of the country was maintained, and Capiodistris accepted as president, and all the feeble efforts by which the war was carried on, and the triumph of the port was averted, until the direct interference of the Allied powers. That interference had been, in great measure, induced by the report that he had entered the service of Greece, so that to him was due not a little of the benefit that accrued from the whole course of diplomacy by which her independence was secured, and the independence was made more prompt and complete than could have been expected by the fortunate circumstance of his having occasioned the collision between the forces of Turkey and those of the Allied powers which issued in the Battle of Navarino. Much more he would have achieved had his arguments been listened to and his plans supported. His failures no less than his successes bespeak his worth." End of chapter 22, recording by Timothy Ferguson, Gold Coast, Australia.